Well, good morning, North Star. My name is Casey, and I am so excited to get to be with you today as we are continuing in our Under Pressure series that we have been in over the last few weeks as we are working verse by verse, chapter by chapter, through the book of James. Last week, if you weren't with us, Sellers Hickman uh, did an incredible job wrapping up chapter one of James, talking about being hearers and doers of the word. Today, we say goodbye to chapter one, and we are moving on to chapter two. Uh, So, if you have your Bibles with you this morning, and I hope that you do, we are going to be in James Two this morning, and we're continuing the conversation of what James uh, has really begun uh, to unfold there in the first chapter as he is addressing believers. And today, specifically, he's addressing believers on their behavior that is becoming inconsistent to the call of Christ. So I'm gonna give you a little look ahead to what we're going to be talking about this morning. Our passage today is going to deal with the hearts of believers who are partial to somebody else. And partiality is going to be a word that is going to be consistent for our entire morning. So we're gonna define partiality so that you and I can be on the same page as we unpack this together. Partiality is this, it's an unfair bias in favor of one compared with another. So that's how we're going to define it this morning an unfair bias in favor of one compared with another. Now, this partiality can be born from a variety of things. It can be born from uh, predilection, could be born from prejudice, could be born from just this bias. Um, But it is all about the heart of somebody having a bias to somebody else for a variety of reasons. It could be, um, specifically this morning, James is talking about rich and poor. It could be um, race. It could be political affiliation. It could be height. It doesn't matter. It is all about having bias for somebody opposed to somebody else. And James is going to unpack for us this morning that man, this has no room in the heart of any believer. And he's gonna do this incredible job as we go verse by verse, just talking about the importance of believers loving one another. So would you guys join me in prayer as we get ready to dive into our passage for today? Father, we love you. And uh, God, we just thank you for the opportunity to gather together today as we um, change the calendar into the month of October. And uh, Lord, I just pray for our hearts this morning. Would they be open to your word? Father, would they be um, ready to receive, um, man, what you have laid out for us that you gave to James to pen thousands of years ago, Father, as it is still so Um, applicable in our lives today. So, Lord, we're gonna give our time to you and we're gonna trust you with it. Lord, we love you, we thank you. It's in your name that we pray, amen. So, throughout this morning, we're gonna be stopping and reading uh, this passage in chunks. And we're gonna be looking at this. What is revealed by a partial heart? 
That's our question that we're gonna be answering this morning. What is ultimately revealed by a partial heart? So James 2, verse one, would you guys stand with me in honor of reading God's word today? James, the half-brother of Jesus, says this. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. If you're looking for an expedited version of what we're gonna be talking about this morning, in one verse, James goes ahead and sums up what he's going to be ultimately explaining over the next 12 verses. So I wanna reread this. My brothers, my brothers and sisters in Christ, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. If you are saying that Jesus is the Lord of your life, if that is what you are declaring with your life, there's no room for partiality. There's no room in your heart for bias towards another. Now James is gonna go on and he's gonna give us this great illustration of what it can look like. Verse two, for if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and you say, you sit here in a good place while you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down at my feet, have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts. Now, as we're unpacking this morning of ultimately loving our neighbor, it is fitting that we probably need to know the people sitting around us. So, before you're seated this morning, would you introduce yourselves to the people sitting around you, ask them what the Falcon score is since they're playing across the pond, and then you guys can have a seat. If your neighbor knew what the Falcon score is, shun them. They shouldn't be watching it while they're in church, all right? Just playing, somebody tell me. Um, all right, here's the first thing that is revealed by a partial heart. It's how we see others. At this time, as James is pinning this letter, prejudice and hatred reigns in their culture. You gotta understand, there was no intermingling of people. The status that you were born into, the religion that you were born into, Gentile or Jew, that is who you affiliated with. You didn't have friends from the other side of the tracks. You didn't have friends that looked different. You hung out with the people that looked like you and you hated anybody else. There was no intermingling of those of different classes or different statuses. Prejudice and hatred reigned in their culture. It's why if you look back to the gospels, Jesus having his conversation with the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman, it's why it's such a big deal. We can look at that passage and go, oh, it's a, it's a cool story about a lady that goes back to her town and takes the gospel. No, it's about a man, a Jewish man, having a conversation with a Samaritan woman. That would never happen in that culture, it was forbidden. And that was who Jesus used as his vessel to begin taking the gospel into Samaria. It's an incredible story, but it just shows 
man, there was serious division going on at this time. So as the early church is beginning, as the church is getting off the ground, we're still at the very early stages as this letter is being written. One of the things that shocked people most about the early church was their oneness and openness to all. You gotta understand, this is an idea that's completely countercultural. They'd never seen anything like this before in their society. That there's now this assembly, that, which is how James refers to it, there's this church that is inviting Gentile and Jew into the same building to hear the same message, a gospel that's available to all. Nothing like this idea had ever existed until this moment. So James is simply reminding the believers of the day to remember this at the core of who we are, at the core of the church, we've gotta remember we're on the same team. We're together. Now there's sometimes in our lives partiality can be displayed in a blatant and an open way. So back in the uh, spring, we got these great letters from our kids team here at North Star. They were sitting on our desk when we came back in. Um, our kids team here does such an incredible job investing in the lives uh, of our children. And they had the kids on a Sunday morning write letters to all of the staff um, here at the church. So I don't know if you're like me, I'm not sentimental about much, but I hold on to about every letter I'm ever written. I just like to look back. It's a good reminder sometimes that um, when you get in your own head, uh, just to remember certain things, some words of affirmation guy, I can't help it. So when I show up to my desk on a Monday morning and I see this letter, man, it's awesome. It's been decorated so well, got these great hearts. It says this, from North Star Kids, to Casey, every staff member got one. Mine just happened to be a little different. Casey, I do not like you. <laughs> so, I did what any rational person would do. I fought a six-year-old kid, and I just, I did what had to be done. No, it's a, it's a great reminder that if you start to get a little too big-headed, there is some six-year-old kid here who absolutely hates my guts, all right? So I leave it sitting on my desk just as this great reminder. Partiality's not always going to be this blatant. It's not always going to be this open. In the case of our passage today, we've got this early church usher, which is what this man is, who's not outright saying that he doesn't like one person over another, but he is displaying it with his actions. His heart is partial to the man whose external appearance matches what he believes to be better. He's showing favor to the man who shows up in fine clothing and with a gold ring. And he is showing dishonor and disinterest in the man who shows up in shabby clothing. Now here's the reality, we don't know if James is pulling this story from something he saw unfold or if this is an illustration that he's come up with to help drive home this idea. So what we don't know is this man's motives. They could be purely selfish. He could be looking at the appearance of these two men thinking that the one in fine clothing is gonna be able to help him get ahead in life. 
and that if he shows him some partiality, if he shows him a little extra love, maybe this guy will have something to offer him in return. You could also look at it like this. Maybe his motives are a little more pure. Maybe he thinks that if they treat this man in the fine clothing well, they give him the VIP treatment, the best experience possible, he's gonna be able to do a little more for the church, help them expand, help them grow. Whatever the reasons may be, it's not how we're called to live and love. It's not how we're called to see other people. You see, the love that Jesus has for us shows zero discrimination. It's not varying upon status or appearance but it's available to all. We've gotten to know this incredible man. He's the head coach at Ball State University named Coach Rich Maloney, and we were having dinner with him this summer, and he was talking about, man, the importance of pouring into kids no matter what level you coach at. And he made this statement, and it applies so well to coaching, yes, but man, does it hit home for this passage. He said this, every soul counts the same. See, it doesn't matter if that kid's a Division I athlete or if they're getting ready for the Major League playoffs. Their soul counts the same as the kid who's getting ready for a high school tryout. And man, that's true in our lives today. Every single soul counts the same. If there is partiality within us, it'll always end up being revealed at some point. Paul Hebert said it like this, prejudice is an evil that exhibits the character of the one who practices it. At some point, if we have a partial heart towards somebody else, it's going to be revealed. Might be revealed by word, might be revealed by action. But God's call has never been to have a love that's dependent on what we can see from the exterior. James continues in verse five. Listen, my beloved brothers. Again, that familial language he's trying to drive home. Has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man are not the rich ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? Second thing that's revealed by a partial heart is how we trust God. Now, for the last five and a half years, I moved into a new role this summer, but for the last five and a half years, I had the honor and the privilege of working with our high school students here at North Star, and I loved every second of it. And uh, if you've been removed from high school for any amount of time, you forget what a fascinating life they live, okay? It really is. It doesn't matter uh, the era, it doesn't matter the year. Kids are kids, okay? And one of the things that you see constantly is these relationships that'll pop up with high schoolers, all right? They just can't help themselves, all right? Some of them are keeping it a secret um, from the world. Some are very open about it. A lot of it happens at summer camp. It's crazy, okay? But here's the, here's the core foundational thing that you see over and over again is a lack of trust. 
all right? In these relationships that are at the very beginning for a lot of kids, it's their very first relationship of their lives. Let me tell you something. We're one set of eye contact away from watching an absolute blow up, okay? I can't tell you how many times I sat at summer camp consoling a guy about uh, seeing his girl sit with another guy at the cafeteria table. It's really unbelievable. You get used to seeing these relationships that have zero trust because there's no depth. It's brand new. They don't believe that the other person's actually going to fulfill what they said that they were gonna do. So you gotta understand, at the time, the rich were opposed to Christianity. They were seen as general enemies of the gospel going out. And God makes it so clear in this passage that he's chosen the poor to be rich in faith. He's not calling for partiality against the rich, but he is saying that the poor will be rich in faith. When we show partiality, we are dishonoring our Father in heaven. F.B. Meyer, the theologian, said it this way. The rich man may trust him, but the poor man must. The poor man has no fortress in which to hide except the two strong arms of God. One of the most popular statements you're gonna hear from this stage uh, at North Star is this phrase right here. God loves you as much today as he ever will. And I love this statement for a variety of reasons, but it's true. Like, it doesn't matter what your Saturday night looked like. God loves you as much today as he ever will. And it's awesome that that applies to you personally. But man, do we forget that it also applies to the person sitting to our left and the person sitting to our right and the person that we're looking at the back of their head for 50 minutes. It applies to every single one of us. There is zero discrimination in the love of Jesus. He came to die on the cross for each of our transgressions. And for some of us, men, this is just a really hard concept to grasp, to wrap our minds around. Because for so long, we've been able to justify the way that we feel about somebody else. We've been able to rationalize it. We've been able to make ourselves feel okay. And because we've done it for so long, it just feels normal. And doing anything else would feel like we're standing in opposition to ourselves. I I, I love this, Dr. Tony Evans uh, would would say it this way. If I pulled out a $100 bill right now, which you can see I do not have a $100 bill, I could give you all the reasons I don't have a $100 bill because there's not $100 in my banking account right now. So if I were to pull out a $100 bill right now, and I were to crumble it up, spit on it, kick it, stamp, put it back in my pocket. When I go to the bank after church today and I go to put it in my account, you know how much money there I'm putting in my account? 100 bucks. Why? It's the value of the bill. They don't care that it's been trampled. They don't care that it's been crumpled up. That bill is worth $100. But for some of us, the way that we see people, because it has been trampled, because it has been crumpled up, 
we believe that bill should be exchanged for far less. God can't make it any more clear than what we're seeing in this passage. He has called us to love other people. And if you've got your list of the reasons why you feel that doesn't apply to you, can I just tell you this morning, out of complete love and respect, you don't have a problem with me. I'm just reading the text that has existed for thousands of years. You don't have a problem with James. He is just writing and driving home what we know to be true as believers. If you have a problem with this concept, you have a problem with God. You don't trust that what he's called us to is actually best for your life. Sometimes God's best for you and I means that we have to make an exchange that can be a little difficult and get us out of our comfort system and force us to live in a manner that we've never lived before. But if he's calling for us to do it, isn't that what's best for us? James drives home all of this beginning in verse eight. If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You're doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but do murder, you've become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. The final thing that's revealed by a partial heart this morning is how we view ourselves. We believe if you have placed uh, trust in Jesus as your Lord and Savior of your life, we believe God is a great king and that his law is a royal law. That's what James is driving home there. If you really fulfill the royal law according to scripture, if you really believe that Jesus is who he says he is, this is a royal decree, this is a law. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. James isn't pulling this concept out of thin air. In fact, he's just referencing the words of Jesus back in Matthew 22 as the Pharisees surround him and they try to catch him off guard by asking him this question. Jesus, of all the commandments, which one's the greatest? He says this, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. James is guarding believers against selective obedience. Saying you can't believe one of these without applying yourself to these. 
See, selective disobedience, or selective obedience is complete disobedience. Any sin is a violation of the will of God. We've got different earthly repercussions for sin, but it's the same disobedience. And there is none without sin. Man, the Bible's crystal clear here and in the Gospels that God will measure unto us according to the same measure that we use for others. Jesus said this in Matthew 7 in the Sermon on the Mount. For the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you will use it will be measured to you. Paul in 2 Corinthians, as he's writing this letter, continues to drive this home by saying there's gonna be a day that each one of us stand before the Lord to receive what is due for what we've done in our bodies. Now, I, I don't mean to um, act like I know your stories, because I don't. I Man, I, I don't know how you've ended up in this room today. I don't know the lives that you've led, the things that have happened to you, so I'm not even gonna pretend to. But here's what I do know, is that loving your neighbor as you love yourself can be tough for some of us because we have a really tough time loving who we are and who God's created us to be. See, what biblically we know to be true is that God's created us in his image. Psalm 119 says that we are fearfully and wonderfully created. But for a lot of us, the love that we have for ourselves is completely rooted in what's been done to us and what the world says that we are rather than in the love of Christ. And when we forget the love of Christ, when we forget the fact that, Je or that God sent Jesus, his one and only son, to die on the cross for each of our sins so that we would have an opportunity at an eternal life, so that we could find the relationship with the Savior that we so desperately needed. When we forget that, that foundational truth, we forget the mercy that's been offered to us and we don't share it with the rest of the world. We treat the world how the world has treated us. And that's our version of loving our neighbor. And I think we all know way too well that the world doesn't always treat us very great. People aren't always gonna have the nicest things to say. People aren't always going to believe the best, but they're gonna imply the worst. If you come in today and you find yourself seeking the world's love and approval, man, I, I just wanna encourage you in the fact that the Lord loves you today right where you are. And he created you uniquely and wonderfully for a purpose that's far greater than you. We had a, a phrase that we heard way too much in our house growing up, mainly because I picked on my sister apparently. But the phrase was this, hurt people hurt people, okay? Hated hearing it as a kid, man, but has it played to be so true in life? If we're operating from that place of hurt, if that is the foundation of where love should be, hurt 
is, we are going to turn around and we are going to hurt the rest of the world. If you are in Christ, if you've submitted to Jesus, there's nothing that can be, um, that relationship can't be taken from you. But we will suffer the loss for reward and living as God has intended us to with our fellow man. See, we're called to accept others with courtesy, with compassion, and with consistency. My prayer for us as a church is that we would display the characteristics not of 2023 and maybe even of what people's perception of churches are in 2023, but rather, man, we would look back to what was being said about the early church. That communities are are blown away, neighborhoods are blown away by the oneness and openness that's displayed. I pray that would be us as a church. But for that to be us as collective as a church, it has to be us as individuals. There is no way to get around the fact that a partial heart stands in direct contradiction of the way that God's called us to love people and to live. Would you guys pray with me? Father, we believe that your word is what's best for our lives. Maybe hard to hear, maybe some uh, grappling that we have to do. Lord, for some of us, man, the Holy Spirit might have convicted our hearts and we need to confess and repent of living in a, a sinful nature that's been partial to others. But God, I, I just pray that um, whatever steps need to be taken, that we would take them because we have been called to love our neighbors. God, you don't see race, you don't see um, wealth, you see our hearts, and you love us just as we are. God, I pray today that we would take off the lenses of the world of 2023, and we would remind ourselves of this basic truth, this foundational truth, that sets what we believe apart from the rest of the world. God, we trust you with this and we believe that your best is out in front of us when we walk in faithfulness. God, we love you, we thank you. It's your name that we pray, amen.